Hey, you're in for a treat today. I'm, I'm so honored. Our special guest comes from Sydney, Australia. And although he, he, he's located in a, a local place in Hills community in Sydney, Australia, his influence has become global. He and his wife, Bobby, have been Cindy and our special friends for well over 30 years, three decades. He started in the western suburbs of Sydney with a very small group. I remember that. And now they've become churches around the world. Hillsong has churches in over 28 countries around the world. Can you imagine? I've often wondered, did you ever foresee that? Did you ever in your wildest dreams imagine God would place such influence in your hand? Brian and Hillsong have had a major influence on local churches around the world and in their worship and praise music, which is sung in every nation I've been in. Brian is an outstanding leader with impeccable character, impeccable integrity, and he's a man of extraordinary generosity. I've known this guy for over 30 years. Our kids grew up together. And he has been like a brother to me. And I love him, not like a brother in Jesus. I love him like a brother. I honor this man. I'm honored that he would take time to be with us, these two services. His heart and his spirit for the local church has always been a witness of mine and to my heart. So Summit, would you please give great welcome to Pastor Brian Houston. Amen. You want to interview or oh, let me get his mic. This, you got the better one here. Somebody's got Brian's mic. Who's got his mic? David, you're fired. Yeah. I think I'm going to be okay. You can? Okay. You just let me know. All right. How good it is to be at Summit with you guys in early service, the best service. The most spiritual people come to the first service. So that's all of you. Always good to be with Rick and with Cindy, your pastors. Uh, as he's been saying, we've known each other a long, 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 long time. And well, I just love being around these guys. And I always love being with you guys. I mean, you do look good. I had no idea Texans were so good looking. It's incredible. Father, we're grateful to be in your house. Lord, I'm glad that we get to live our lives in the service of King Jesus. Father, I pray in your mighty name that every person here, no matter what is happening in their world, will know the presence of God, that you continue working with them and in them and through them, even when we're unaware of it. And I believe in Jesus' name that you are building your church and that this word will speak life to people. We thank you for it in Jesus' name. And a faithful people said together, amen, amen, amen. I want to talk about robbing the robber. Robbing the robber. John 10, 10, many may know, it talks about the devil as a thief. And it says the thief comes to steal, to kill, and to destroy. Jesus said, I am come that you might have life, and that you might have it in abundance. That's right. That abundant life is what Jesus calls us to. But the devil, he wants to steal. He wants to kill. He wants to destroy. And in a season like now, season that's unprecedented, certainly in my lifetime, 
where there's a pandemic, where, well, so much is upside down, there's so much upheaval in so many different ways, and even the world is so much less stable, it seems, than in days gone by. There's a whole lot of things the devil would love to try to use this season to steal, to kill, to destroy things in your life. So I want to talk for a moment just about some of those things that the devil will try to steal, will try to kill, and try to destroy. And the first one is unity. You see, there's a power to unity. The Bible says God commands a blessing where there's unity. Unity is not something that just impacts, well, whatever it is we're unified around. In this instance, maybe a church. Unity, I think it brings blessing to every person who contributes to it. And you know what? This verse, I'll read it to you. Psalm 133 verse 1 says, Behold, how good and how pleasant. I love to be in an atmosphere that's pleasant. How good and how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. For there the Lord commanded the blessing. He doesn't suggest blessing where there's unity. He doesn't even recommend blessing where there's unity. He commands blessing. In other words, where people are truly unified, whether it's a marriage, whether it's a partnership, whether it's in some kind of enterprise together, or whether it's just people, families, or whether it's church, God commands blessing, and I think that blessing is inevitable. And I like the fact that the Scripture describes it as being pleasant. Because I'm telling you, I've been in environments where there was disunity, and the one word you wouldn't call, call it as pleasant. It's extremely unpleasant. The air feels thick. Some of you may at some point in your history been somewhere where there's a lot of disunity and confusion sets in. And the air feels thick. But where there's unity, real unity, I would say the air is light. You walk in and the atmosphere, it's, it's compelling, not repelling. Don't underestimate the power of unity. And we can't let unity just be something we presume on. It's something we're active about, we're intentional about. We're intentional about contributing to unity. And in that, we have a belief that God is going to bring great blessing. So I've experienced it, I've seen it, where people are unified. Blessing tends to follow, momentum follows. The devil wants to steal, kill, and destroy. Well, when it comes to unity, the devil will steal unity to kill momentum and destroy blessing. So Ecclesiastes chapter 4, sometimes we use these verses at weddings. It says in verse 9, two are better than one. Amen. Because they have a good reward. There it is, a good reward for their labor. For if they fall, one will lift up his companion. But woe to him who is alone when he falls, for he has no one to help him up. Just on this subject of falling, for whatever reason, during the singing, during the worship, I completely lost my balance. I don't think it's ever happened to me before, like vertigo or something. And Rick was right there. They've got a chair ready for me if I need it. Rick's ready to come up and take over. Don't say amen to that. <laughs> But anyway, I'm okay. I'm good, 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 good. But at least if I fall, there's someone there to help me. Listen to it one more time. 
Woe to him who is alone when he falls, for he has no one to help him up. Again, if two lie down together, they will keep warm. I like being warm. Yes. But how can one be warm alone? Though one may be overpowered by another, two can withstand him, and a threefold cord is not quickly broken. In other words, there's reward, there's strength, there's warmth. Where? Where there is unity. Thank God for unity. Let's believe for Summit Church that that pleasantness that comes from unity will become more and more obvious. And then the blessing touches people's lives, touches people's marriages, touches homes, touches families. Amen. Let's never allow the devil to steal or to kill or destroy our unity. Number two, the devil would love to steal or kill or destroy your joy. There's a strength in joy. The devil will steal our joy to kill any sense of well-being and destroy your strength. There is strength in joy. It's in Nehemiah chapter 8 verse 10. It says, do not sorrow. Why? The joy of the Lord. The joy of the Lord is your strength. Not just deep joy. I have a deep joy. My joy is a fountain that flows deep within. No, no, no. Joy. Where is your joy up this morning? I'm looking around for a little bit of joy. You people are making me scared. Ah, that's better now. Yeah, yeah. Hey, joy is our strength. And joy is not just happiness. Happiness, thank God when we're happy about happiness, depends to be determined by what's happening. And so if things that are happening aren't very happy, well, happiness can rise and fall. But I think joy is something deeper than that. When I think of joy, well, I think of peace, like an inner peace, an inexplainable peace. I think of well-being. I think of certainty, just a knowing that God is in control. That's how I see joy. And it'll sustain you, it'll strengthen you. It's what the Bible says. And again, the enemy would love to steal our joy. Let's say he may not. He, the scripture says he's seeking whom he may devour. Well, I've decided he may not. Let's decide together today. No matter what the enemy tries to devour, he may not. It's not going to happen. In Jesus' name. But the enemy, he would love to steal our joy. And that sense of well-being, that peace. Do you know, if peace is a noun, the verb is prosperity. It actually is. And I see joy as just that sense, that knowing that God is with you. To the point where the Macedonians who are spoken about in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, they were in deep poverty, the Bible says. They were going through incredibly difficult days. And yet what sustained them was the abundance of their joy. That's what the Bible says. Isn't it incredible that even trials don't necessarily rob us of our joy? Count it all joy when you encounter various trials. James chapter 1 verse 2. Count it all joy when you fall into various trials. I'm sure there's people here who for whatever reason, in an upside down season, and maybe there's challenges and trials, and maybe 
in your household, it may be your kids, your family, it may be your finances, but in the middle of it all, let's not let the devil rob us of our joy. Because joy, it will bring you strength every time. The devil would like to rob our unity. He would like to rob us of our joy. And you know what, number three, he'd love to rob us of our generosity. Generosity is something much more powerful than a whole lot of people realize. I love being around generous people. I love it. Why? Well, not just because they give you stuff, but because it's contagious. It's magnetic. When people are generous, they're not just generous when it comes to money, they're generous with their words. They're generous with their encouragement. They think the best of people, not the worst of people. And, and again, it's just beautiful being around generous people. I'm telling you, and you possibly already know, Pastor Rick is an incredibly generous person. He is incredibly, and ever since I've ever known him, he's never, ever been any other way. Generous. And, uh, well, the devil would love to steal our generosity. Why would he want to steal our generosity? Well, to kill our impact and destroy our promises. By your promises, by our promises, I'm talking about the promise of God on your life. Generosity makes things bigger. It just makes your world larger. And you possibly have heard in the message, Eugene Peterson, he translate Proverbs 11, I think it's verse 27 like this. The world of the generous gets larger and larger. The world of the stingy gets smaller and smaller. I'm blessed to pastor a church that has incredibly generous people in it. And again, not just in their giving, not just in offering time, but just the way they encourage, the way they speak. Uh, and, and you can see it because they're big spirited people. They're big thinking people. They're big hearted people because the world of the generous gets larger and larger. I don't think you can be stingy on the inside. And uh, uh, sorry, I don't think you can be stingy on the outside uh, without there actually being something that's not right on the inside. Generosity, the devil would love to steal it because it has power. It has power. And I mentioned 2 Corinthians chapter 8. Let me go back there again. There, that's where Paul's speaking to the Corinthians and he's using the Macedonian church as an example. And the Macedonians, well, they were taking up an offering in, in, for the Corinthians and it was to go towards the impoverished people in Jerusalem. And he uses the Macedonians and I'll read again those verses. It says, moreover, brethren, we make known to you the grace bestowed on the churches of Macedonia. Why well, listen to it, that in a great trial of affliction, they were going through difficult days, extreme pressure, but what sustained them, the abundance of their joy, we just spoke of joy, and their deep poverty abounded in the riches of their liberality. Deep poverty, great affliction, but a sandwiched by joy and generosity. And I'll tell you what I've noticed. I've noticed that when someone's heart's not right, when maybe somebody is, well, perhaps they got offended, perhaps their heart's just not right. The first two things that disappear are their joy and their generosity. Their joy and their generosity. That's why the devil would always love to un 
undermine and rob you of joy and generosity. Listen, generosity is not just something that happens on the outside. Just like joy, it's something that is on the inside. The generous soul will be made rich. The generous soul, so it's talking about a generosity in the area of your soul. And when there's that generosity in your soul, well, it has a wonderful, wonderful impact. Let's be people who are generous, generous-spirited, generous-hearted, generous in our thinking. Don't let the enemy rob us of our generosity. Praise God. And number four, everybody say number four. The devil would love to rob you of your zeal. <laughs> I love being around zealous people. Yes, zealous people. They've got some life to them. They've got some energy to them. They've got some passion to them. They don't come to church Sunday morning because that's what Christians do. No, they're full of enthusiasm and fire and zeal for the house of the Lord. I mean, David, you know what he said? He said, zeal for your house, Lord has consumed me. In the New Living Translation, passion. That's what zeal is, it's living passionately. Zeal for your house, passion for your house has eaten me up, has consumed me. That's what David is saying. The devil would love to steal our zeal, that rhymes, to destroy our impact and kill our enthusiasm. Great things, great things are accomplished when people are passionate. Dreams come true when we're passionate about them. We're not lacking energy, we're not just sitting on the lounge with a remote. Oh, no, no, passion, zeal. You think maybe I'm just not that kind of person, but anyone can be enthusiastic and filled with fire and zealous about the house of the Lord. Have you got zeal in your life? Real zeal. Amen. Yeah. That kind of energy and passion that, well, you just can't help yourself. You can't help yourself because you're so full of fire. Zeal will get you up in the morning. Yeah. Zeal counts the cost and does whatever it takes. And you know something else about zeal? It's contagious. I like being around joyful people. I like being around unity. I like being around generous people. And I like being around people whose life is filled with passion and zeal. Because it's contagious too. These are things that are contagious. And yes, the enemy would love to rob you of that zeal. You know what zeal looks like? That same passage in 2 Corinthians chapter 8. It goes on verses three and four. And so remember, they're receiving a collection. They're taking up an offering. And in verse three, Paul says, for I bear witness that according to their ability, this is the Macedonians, yes, and beyond their ability, they went the extra mile. They were freely willing, imploring us with much urgency that we would receive the gift and the fellowship of the ministering of the saints that we would receive the gift and the fellowship of the ministering of the saints. In other words, they were imploring them. They were imploring them to receive the offering. They just couldn't give fast enough. That's called zeal. That's called passion. They, they were like, 
Stop talking about it. Let's just give this chance to be, to be generous. Phenomenal. That's what zeal looks like. I'll show you what else zeal looks like. Listen to Nehemiah chapter 8, verses 4 and 6. It says, Ezra the scribe stood on a platform of wood. This one's concrete by the feel of it. Yeah, they stood on a platform of wood. And listen, Ezra opened the book in the sight of all the people. For he was standing above all the people. And when he opened it, listen to what happens. All the people stood up. And Ezra blessed the Lord, the great God. Then all the people answered, Amen, Amen. While lifting up their hands, and they bowed their heads and worshipped the Lord with their faces on the ground. Now, I don't know whether you can picture that. But Ezra, the priest, he just opens the law. I mean, the law. I mean, we're talking about the Old Testament law and how zealous were people. The moment he opened the book, the instant, spontaneous result is everyone stood up. This is how the Bible describes it. They all start shouting, Amen! Amen! With their hands in the air. (laughs) Yes. And then finally, they start to worship the Lord. Well, I'm telling you, imagine next Sunday. And Pastor Rick, all he has to do is open the book. And I mean, we're talking new covenant, a better covenant with better promises and better hope. And so, Ezra, it was the law. Thank God for the law. Jesus fulfilled the law. But we live, we're New Testament people. See, imagine next weekend if all Pastor Rick has to do is open the book and suddenly everybody stood up. Everybody starts shouting, amen, amen, with their hands in the air and then continue to worship God. I mean, revival would break out and all Ezra had to do is open the book. Now, because it's 9 a.m. service and because you guys, I'm believing to see passion and zeal in this service. I'm about to open the book. I'm about to open the book. And I'll remind you one more time. Everyone stood up, shouted, amen, amen, put their hands in the air and worship God. And all he did was open the book. And so here we go. Here we go. Sunday morning, 9 a.m. service. Some Australian preaching. And suddenly he opened the book. Ah, now we're having church. Now we're having church. All he had to do was open the book. (laughs) I love it. I love it. So that's like, that's what zeal looks like. You know, the Bible talks about lukewarm. I I never want to pastor a lukewarm church. Jesus said to the Laodiceans, I'd rather you were hot or cold. Just don't be tepid. Just don't be lukewarm. Life itself will try to get us to just grow weary. Just get weary. Tired and weary are different. You can wake up tired this morning, but you don't, you don't wake up weary. You grow weary. And sometimes age can weary people. Just life in itself. And maybe your disappointments and, well, disillusionments and things you've seen that weren't what they looked like. And you can get cynical. I never want to be that guy who, I can't help, I'm going to grow old. 
that I can't help that I'm not going to grow weary. Because I've seen weary old preachers and they're cynical. They're, they're, uh, they don't speak life into younger people. The young people today aren't like they were in my day. Oh, you know what I say to that? Thank God. When the kingdom of God's working, well, the generations get stronger. So I'm glad. I want to be, I want to be that old preacher, the spurring younger people on, encouraging them, cheering them, and building the kind of life and the kind of church where our ceiling becomes the next generation's floor. But that won't happen if we grow weary. There's, um, like, as many of you would know, Australia, we've fought in, I think, every single war with America uh, and the Allies for more than 100 years. And so Australia, it, uh, it has fallen from the, the world wars, from Vietnam, and even more recent times, Iraq and Afghanistan. Like, Australia has lost lives, lost soldiers, and not only that, others have made sacrifices. Well, in Australia, kind of like Memorial Day, we have what's called Anzac Day. It actually stands for Australia, New Zealand Armed Corps. And it's a very solemn day. And they have, uh, they have memorial meetings and services. And uh, it is very significant. And in fact, with younger people, more and more and more, people turn out on the streets uh, to thank those who have given sacrificially or even lost their lives. Well, around Anzac Day, there's a poem that is always quoted. Every single year, you'll hear the same words quoted. And so the poem, it's, it's, uh, it's written by a guy called Lawrence Binion. And this is what it says. It's called Poem for the Fallen. They fell with their faces to the foe. Now, they weren't running away. They had their faces to the foe. They shall grow not old, as we that are left grow old. Age shall not weary them, nor the years condemn. We will remember them. And so it's saying, look, we're going to get old, but we're not going to let the memory of those who have laid down their lives for their country, we're not going to let that grow old. It's saying age shall not weary them. We're not going to let this memory ever be worn out and weary. But see, the thing is, age can tend to make people weary. It's a decision. I'm going to live my life with zeal. I'm not going to grow weary. I'm going to live my life with a fire and a passion, a, a love for life itself, loving God, loving people, loving life. That's, that's how I want to live my life, really. That's how I want to live my life. The enemy would love to steal and to kill and destroy your zeal. And number five, the enemy would love to steal, kill, and destroy our focus. There's something powerful about being single-hearted, single-eyed, having focus. Why would the devil want to steal our focus? Well, listen, the devil would love to steal your focus to kill your single-mindedness and destroy your fruitfulness. Do you know Judah, God's people, it says in 2 Chronicles chapter 30, verse 12, and the ha also the hand of God was on Judah to give them singleness of heart. Their singleness of heart came from the hand of God. So it's a spiritual gift that they had the singleness of heart to obey the command of the king and the leaders at the word of the Lord. God 
gave them, put his hand upon them and gave them singleness of heart. Do you know life has so many distractions? It's so easy to look to the left or look to the right. But one of the most powerful things we have is to know who we are, what what we're about, where in life we believe we're going. That's what I would call focus. That's single-heartedness. One of the greatest advantages I've had in life is since I was a little boy. I was a son of pastors. Since I was a little boy, I knew what I wanted to do with my life. I knew one day I would love to build a big church. I would love to be able to preach the gospel. I would love. I've always been a single focus. And I see it as a huge advantage. A lot of people, they don't know quite who they are or where they're going or what they really want to do with their lives. I'm going to believe God that he'll give you that singleness of heart, that single determination, that focus to know like Paul. Paul was talking about his upward call and eternity, but he said, this one thing I do. Maybe you're doing a whole lot of things. I only do one thing. The one thing I do is what I feel God called me to do, lead in church life, work alongside the master builder, Jesus, and the building of the church and a whole lot of other things and activities maybe in my life, but really my life's about one thing. What about your life? There's focus, you see. At the end of focus, there's so much opportunity. There's victory because you never, ever got persuaded to the left or to the right. Joshua, you know, Joshua in chapter one, God offers him all the land he could imagine, all the land he could see. And in the middle of all of that, This is what the Lord said to him. He said, be strong and very courageous. Be careful to obey all the instructions Moses gave you. Now listen, do not deviate from them, turning either to the right or to the left. Then you will be successful in everything you do. So the the word of the Lord was, don't be distracted from the left and don't be distracted from the right. So many things can distract us right now. It could be social media. It could be all the voices, the loud voices there. If you're a vaxxer, it might be the anti-vaxxers. If you're an anti-vaxxer, it might be the vaxxers. I mean, there's always going to be something that's going to try to distract us, whether it's politics, whether it's some other else's opinion, whether it's the whispers of someone over here, whatever it is. But the the devil will use it to steal to take from you, to rob, to kill, to destroy. So I pray that God will give you that single focus. You know, I'm not good at very many things. I'm not, like, I'm probably the world's worst golfer. I mean, I'm terrible and I don't get any better. My eye-hand coordination is, well, let's just say I'm not gifted. I mean, I can't do many things. Uh, really, really, my, my kids, they're better at, at me than everything. But I don't have to be good at a whole lot of things. I just have to be good at one thing. And that's what God gifted me for and graced me for. And that's how I see it in life. So the focus is something that we need to see and be re- intentional. The devil is not going to steal my focus. Amen. And number six, number six, thank you. Thank you. I like that back row over there. Number six, the devil would love to steal, kill, or destroy your confidence. Hebrews 10.35, don't throw away your confidence. Why? It has great reward. 
So many of these things that I've been speaking about. The Bible talks about great reward or blessing. And I'm certain that confidence can be very vulnerable. In other words, it's not hard to lose confidence. It's really not hard at all. And especially when your confidence is built on the wrong foundation. If my confidence is confidence in Brian Houston, that's probably not the best foundation. But if my confidence is in who God is, who God is in Brian Houston's life, all of a sudden I can lift up my head. I don't have to live insecure, jealous, threatened, fearing failure, looking over my shoulder at the next next generation. I don't have to be doing any of that. Godly confidence is attractive. It's not arrogance. It's not pride. It's not cockiness. It's just a knowing. It's just a knowing who you are in Christ. It's a sense that when I stand up here, I'm here because God's called me to be here. God's called me to do this. That's confidence. If I was up here and all I'm thinking about is, oh, I'm not sure people are receiving or uh, I'm not sure whether uh, Pastor Rick's appreciating this. That, That lack of confidence won't ever build anything. Ever. Ever. So I thank God for confidence. I asked Joyce Meyer once. Most of you would know Joyce Meyer. And I asked her, Joyce, do you ever get nervous when you speak? And she looked at me like that's the silliest question she'd ever heard. And she said, no. I don't think about myself when I speak. I just try to help people. I thought, what an answer. She's not thinking about herself. Why? Because she's thinking about others. And there's an attractive confidence to that. Let's live our lives with confidence. Don't let the devil rob you of your confidence. If you fail somewhere and fall, the enemy would love to undermine confidence. And I say, stand up, dust yourself off, keep going. And live with godly confidence. Godly confidence is powerful. It's beautiful. And I love being around that kind of confidence. Proverbs 3.26, it says this. It says, for the Lord will be your confidence and will keep your foot from being caught. Where's that confidence come from? The Lord will be your confidence. The Lord will be your confidence. Listen to Proverbs 14, verse 26. It says, in the fear of the Lord, in other words, our awe, our reverence of God, there is strong confidence. And his children will have a place of refuge. Strong confidence. Thank God for it. Well, number seven, things the enemy would love to steal, kill, and destroy, and especially during a season like this season, is your faith. Not just faith in faith, but your faith in God. Your faith in who God is and what God has promised you. Faith in God's promises. The devil would love to steal your faith, to kill evidence of answered prayer, and destroy pure relationship with God. Why would a lack of faith destroy pure relationship with God? Well, Hebrews 11 verse 6, without faith it is impossible. Not just difficult, impossible to please God. For he who comes to God must believe that God is and that he's a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. And so the devil would love to undermine your faith. Faith has a great reward. It brings evidence and substance 
to the things you've believed for and hoped for and prayed for. No wonder the devil loved to steal your faith and undermine your expectation that God will answer your prayer. Uh, I've, I've, I've been facing some things in my own life recently. And I'm telling you right now, my faith is my greatest strength, my greatest hope. The enemy could undermine your faith where all of a sudden you're not living with the buoyancy that comes from, God, I believe you are going to answer my prayer. It's like when this pandemic started. I, like many others, just started quoting, no plague shall come near my dwelling. And I just kept holding on to that, no plague shall come near my dwelling. Well, that's what faith looks like. That's what faith sounds like. And maybe, hey, you got COVID. Well, that's where the devil would like to undermine your faith. But we're not going to let him. We're going to continue to please God because that's what faith does. And we're going to believe to see the evidence and the substance that comes from faith. Oh, I love having the opportunity to live my life as a person of faith, a man of faith. Faith in God, faith in who He is, faith in what He said, faith, faith in what He's promised. That's a powerful thing to be around as well. All of these things I've spoken about, every single one of them has a reward. And that's why the enemy would love to steal, to kill and to destroy. He's seeking whom he may devour, but remember, he may not. For more information on Summit Christian Center, visit summitsa.com.